We will read from our passage, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. So please listen now to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for this time of year, um, this Christmas season that reminds us that you are a giving God, having given to us your only son in order that we might have life in him. Father, you have also blessed us in this world with everything that you have given to us. And so we simply return to you what you have first given to us in these tithes and these gifts and these offerings, asking that you would use them in order that your kingdom would be revealed in order that the kingdom of darkness would be pushed back in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, as we ourselves prepare now to sit beneath your word, we pray that you would remind us that you are a God who stoops. You are a God who condescends. You are a God who stoops and meets the needy in the ash heap and lifts them in order that they might be seated with princes. Father, we thank you for the wonderful good news, the good news we long to go out into the world, the good news we long to hear this very morning. We pray that you would revive us, that we, the weary who have gathered this morning, would indeed rejoice We thank you that your son came into this world and not only taught us how to love one another, but loved us and pursued us to the cross in order that it would be true that we can be at the same time both far more broken than we could ever imagine, but also far more loved, secure and accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible because of the person and work of Jesus in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Children ages three to six are dismissed to children's church, the back of the sanctuary. You can make your way. Well, we made it to uh, Christmas week, and I want us to head into this week considering this beautiful piece of poetry that we read earlier in our service. Um, This song that Mary sang, Mary's Magnificat. And we're pretty much going to jump right in, but let me tell you why I want us to reflect on this passage together, on this song together. And here it is. The Christmas story, it really does have the power to reshape and transform our lives. It has the power to deeply 
and profoundly change us. Um, yeah, I need you to think with me about what a big deal that really is. What, what a huge claim I'm actually making in saying that, that the Christmas story has the power to radically change you and transform you. I mean, if we're honest, in, our, in the moments of our clearest thinking and most reflective moments, we all want and long and hope for change, right? Because even when we are at our best, right, we are at our best, we still, still realize how short we fall. And we understand that we are really shadows of what we were meant to be. And we hunger for deep change in our lives, right? Not superficial change, but real, profound, authentic change. The hope of becoming, of growing, right? Of, of becoming new and different. I mean, deep down, we long to be captivated by something so large and so beautiful that we can't help but be pulled into its storyline and, and to be changed by it in order that our lives begin to align with that beauty and are changed by it. Now, you and I, we often shut that hunger down. We ignore it or we numb ourselves to it with hobbies and entertainment and all kinds of things. Because honestly, if we're honest, many of us have grown very cynical to the idea that real, substantive, authentic, deep change is even possible. We've seen too many plastic smiles. We've seen too much hypocrisy and examples of superficial change. The kind of change we hunger for is deep, but in the lives of others, and even or especially in our own lives, we've been disappointed far too many times, and it's turned us cynical. Now, though we've become cynical, I want to suggest to you this morning that Mary in this song, she is singing to us, of the real, deep, authentic change that she has experienced because of the Christmas story. See, an angel had appeared to Mary. If you remember what comes before this singing, the singing of this song, an angel had appeared to Mary and told her the good news that she would give birth to the Son of God and Savior of the world. And the story leading up to this tells us that upon hearing this news, she traveled and went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who confirmed that good news for her. But if you read through that story, <clears throat> you'll realize that up until this point, Mary has actually been pretty quiet. She hasn't had much to say. And it's been days and it's been weeks since the angel had spoken to her. And then all of a sudden, her silence is broken with this song, where she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, I'm only pointing out the grammar here to make, make a brief point. That use of poetic parallelism right there, it, as one scholar writes, it's a literary device pointing us to a praise that comes from with deep with inside a person. It, she's singing to you and me. That she has experienced the change that we all hunger for, that we all long for. How did she find what we so desperately want? 
And I think she gives us the answer in this song, in this beautiful piece of poetry. She was profoundly changed when she reflected on God's mercy, when she reflected on his upside down kingdom and the promises her God kept. Real simple this morning. There's no tricks. There's no gimmicks. If these three things that I just mentioned become real to you, you, like Mary, will also experience deep and profound change in your life. So here it is. Those, those are my three points. <clears throat> Sorry. I'll keep this up here. Um, three points. Reflections on mercy. Reflections on the upside-down kingdom. And reflections on promises kept. So first, Mary's reflections on mercy. When God's mercy... <clears throat> this could be a long morning. When God's mercy becomes real to us, it shatters the iciness of our hearts. It shatters the iciness of our hearts and it produces real, deep, even supernatural change in us. That's exactly what it did for Mary. Now, see, Mary in verse 49, she had reflected on God's might and holiness. If we had the time to go back and read earlier in Luke chapter 1, it would be obvious why she's reflecting on God's power and holiness. Right? The angel Gabriel had appeared to Mary and assured her that she, a virgin, would give birth to the Son of God. Because as Gabriel said to her, nothing is impossible with God. In other words, he is the, one, he is the mighty one who does great things, as it says in verse 49. But even earlier, I'm really trying to get this out. But even earlier in the story, Gabriel had also told Mary that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, that's an English translation. And it needs to be so because it's kind of awkward in the Greek. Because literally in the Greek, this is what Gabriel had told Mary. The Holy to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you understand what he's saying? Mary, this won't just be another holy person. Mary, holiness itself will be born to you. Purity itself, righteousness itself, God himself is coming. Now, here's the question that begs reflection. How can an all-powerful, right, perfectly holy God Deal with broken, fallen sinners like us. How can the King of Kings, the perfectly righteous God, deal with you and me in all our rebellion, in all of our failed attempts at goodness, in all our sin? Mary had poured over this. She had reflected over this and realized that the Christmas story wasn't just saying that God is powerful. And it wasn't just saying that he is holy. The Christmas story is also saying that he is full of mercy. That's why in the very next line of this song she sings in verse 50, she sings, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mercy, it's a loaded word in the Bible. The author Dave Harvey offers this definition of mercy. He writes, Mercy is a unique, marvelous, exceptional word. God's mercy means his kindness, patience, and forgiveness towards us. It is his compassionate willingness to suffer for and with sinners for their ultimate good. In the Bible, mercy weds the severe obligation of justice 
with the warmth of personal relationship. Mercy explains how a holy and loving God can relate to sinners without compromising who he is. Look, this realization for Mary that the holy, mighty God had moved towards her, had condescended to meet her, to show her kindness, love, patience, and forgiveness. It changed Mary profoundly and deeply. How did it change Mary? Does anything seem odd to you or strange to you in verse 48? Listen to it. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I'm humble and I'm going to be famous till the end of time. Right? I'm lowly and I'm exalted. I'm a no one and I'm on top of the world is what she's saying. I'm poor in spirit and I'm bursting with confidence. How do these apparent contradictions fit together in one person at the same time? Blaise Pascal on the front of your bulletin wrote, I do not admire the excess of some one virtue unless I am shown at the same time the excess of the opposite virtue. A man does not prove his greatness by standing at an extremity, but by touching both extremities at once and filling all that lies between them. G.K. Chesterton wrote that Christianity separated the two ideas and then exaggerated them both. In one way, man was to be haughtier than he had ever been before. In another way, he has to be humbler than he had ever been before. He writes, and he goes on, Insofar as I am man, I am the chief of creatures. Insofar as I am a man, I am, chi- I am the chief of sinners. Christianity got over the difficulty of combining furious opposites, By keeping them both, and by keeping them both furious. Mercy alone can pull together the furious opposites and change you into something entirely new. That's what it did for Mary. Soberly humble and bursting with joyous confidence. This is why I said when we began this point, that the change that Mary has experienced, it it was not only deep, but supernatural. Your temperament may be shy and reserved or bold and aggressive, but when mercy gets a hold of you, you start becoming both extremes. I love my kids. Uh, The age that they are now is just perfect because they love coloring books and things like that. And I love getting a hold of their coloring books and coloring with them. And I especially love the connect the dots pages in those coloring books. Um, And you remember what I'm talking about, those pages that are full of these dots that seem to be numbered in random sequence and all that. But you start drawing those lines and connecting the dots, right? And slowly you start to see a picture, right? Eventually that picture begins to take shape and you connect all the dots and you eventually have the dinosaur, the cowboy, the astronaut, whatever it is. If you want to experience the kind of change that Mary has experienced, you need to connect the dots in the Christmas story. That God would have to send His only Son into the world to save you. That means that you could not do it yourself. That means that we are so lost... We are so broken, we are so corrupt, that we couldn't work our way to Him. He had to come down and do everything for us. 
But the Christmas story is also saying to us at the very same time that God himself wanted to do this for us. Right, that he was willing to exchange his throne for a manger, that he's willing to become vulnerable and killable for us. See, only when you connect those dots will you be able to say, I am both lowly and absolutely loved at the same time. I am broken and I'm a treasure. Right? I have nothing to offer and I have everything I need in Jesus. That creates bold humility. Second, the Christmas story also caused Mary to reflect on God's upside-down kingdom. Upside down in the sense that God's kingdom flips and reverses the values of this world. When I was in school, I was a horrible note-taker. I had to always get to know the note-takers because eventually I would need to borrow their notes. Um, But what I did all day in class was I doodled. And I drew all over my notebook. Um, And the greatest doodle of all time has to be the Necker cube. The Necker cube is that transparent cube that you draw on your page, right? Which you might be tempted to do now that we're talking about it. But, But, you know, it's that transparent cube. And when you draw it, you look at it and it appears to be facing one way. And then you blink and your eyes readjust and it appears to be facing the other way. It's a sort of optical illusion, right? Here's what I'm saying. The Christmas story trains our eyes to look at the world and see the values of this world flipped upside down. It forces us to blink. It forces us to adjust our eyes and see everything differently. The upside down kingdom of God. Look, I mean, when we look at the world, what do we see? Who is on top? Who are the winners? Who are the successful? Who triumphs in this world, right? It's the achievers. It's the powerful. It's the wealthy. It's the elite. It's the proud. But Mary reflected in verses 51 through 53 that God scattered the proud, right? That he brings down the mighty from their thrones, That he sends the rich away empty and instead God exalts the humble, she says, and fills the hungry with good things. God's kingdom flips the values of this world upside down. See, we tend to want to align ourselves with who? With the wealthy, with the powerful, right? Connections, right? (laughs) I would really like to know him. I would really like to spend time with them, get into that circle of friends. I'd like to find out how the other half lives sometime. Right. We gravitate towards the beautiful, the sophisticated, the strong, those who have status. Why do we instinctively do that? Because we tend to think that the way up is the way up. But Mary was singing in God's kingdom. I have come to see that the way up is down and that God isn't attracted to those who can't see or recognize their need of him. He is drawn to and he gravitates to the outsider, the downcast, the broken. He lifts the humble and satisfies the hungry. Why? Because they know their need. In his kingdom, all you need is nothing. And listen, of course the Christmas story caused Mary to reflect on the upside down kingdom because what had just been announced to her was the coming of an upside-down king. Flannery O'Connor, she wrote, God told the world he was going to send it a king, and the world waited. 
The world thought a golden fleece will do for his bed, silver and gold and peacock's tail. A thousand sons will do for his crib. His mother will ride on a four-horned white beast and use the sunset for her cape. But instead, Jesus came on cold straw. Jesus was warmed by the breath of an ox. Who is this, the world said. Who is this blue cold child and this woman plain as the winter? Is this the word of God, this blue cold child? Is this his will, this plain winter woman? Where is the summer will of God? The world, I'm telling you, is looking for the summer will of God. It expects that the way up is the way up. Looks for golden fleeces and thousand suns and sunsets for capes, right? Power, beauty, success, achievement, wealth, position. But the Christmas story flips it all upside down, right? Now, let me tell you why this changed Mary. It didn't change her by being some abstract concept for her to get her mind around. It changed her because this truth was personal to her. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Who was Mary? She was a little girl in a man's world. Where was she from? She was from despised, lowly, ridiculed Nazareth. Here's what I'm saying. She was a nobody from nowhere. She was away from the centers of power and position and status. And God had moved toward her with his plans to redeem the whole world. Look, the son of God, he wasn't going to be born in a palace, right? With silver and gold and thousands of sons for a crib. He was going to be born to this plain, poor winter woman, a nobody. He's the upside down king with an upside down kingdom. And if you blink... And adjust your eyes and can begin to see the upside down kingdom. It prepares you for something very, very important. A king who would conquer through defeat. Prepares you for a king who would go to the cross. A king who would wed the severe obligation of justice with love and mercy at the cross. And give life through his own death. Okay, so Mary experiences deep, authentic change as she reflected on God's mercy and his upside-down kingdom. But finally, in the last two verses of this song that she sings, we hear her reflecting on the promises God kept. Verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. See, all those many, many years ago, God had promised to crush the head of the serpent, right, in the Garden of Eden. And he promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations. And he promised David's family that from from him would come a king who would rule and reign. That God, though he is perfectly holy, would somehow come and blot out all our transgressions. God had promised this. Awesome stuff, right? But what happens to you when your great-great-great-grandfather and your great-grandfather and your grandfather and your parents all die? And you begin to think and wonder, maybe God has forgotten us. Maybe he has abandoned us. Maybe he's not going to come through like he said he would. That fear of being forgotten, it's a pretty big one for us, isn't it? Right, forgotten, abandoned, alone, 
forsaken, cut off, deserted. See, a lot of our anger at the experience of rejection in our lives is just our acting out. Our acting out of our terrifying fear of being alone. And a lot of our attempts at controlling others around us is really just our acting out of a terrible fear of abandonment. And a lot of the things you say that aren't the whole truth springs from this fear of rejection. And a lot of the things you do which you know compromise your standards because you're trying to win approval, it comes from a fear of being alone. Mary was reflecting on that tiny child growing in her womb and she was singing with a smile. And this is what she was singing. All of God's promises come true. Every single one of them. He never forgets. He remembers his mercy to Abraham and to his offspring. She was seeing the fulfillment of the story that began long ago, the story of redemption. And I'm telling you, see the beauty of this story and have this story become real to you. And its beauty will pull you in and transform you. We love stories, don't we? All of us love stories. We were made that way from little children who love to sit in our laps and hear the same stories over and over again to adults when they get together and go out to eat and tell stories over and over and over again. Ones that I've heard all of my, my wife's stories 30 times each, at least, right? We tell them over and we love stories. Look, one of my favorite little places in G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, has to be when he puts his finger on the biblical themes that run through our favorite stories. And part of the reason it's a favorite place for me is because it just, he's writing and it just seems so off the cuff for him. And he writes this, The great lesson of beauty and the beast is that a thing must be loved before it is lovable. If ever there were a gospel truth, that is. But he goes on, there is the terrible allegory of the sleeping beauty, which tells how the human creature was blessed with all birthday gifts, yet cursed with death, and how death also may perhaps be softened to a sleep. You know, fairy tales live on from generation to generation to generation because they touch a nerve deep inside of us. They tap into our deepest longings and hopes. Stories that if we get pulled inside of them, they have the power to change us. That deeply loved, we can actually be transformed into something lovable. That kissed with mercy, death can be softened to a sleep from which we awake. That poor, neglected, mistreated Cinderella's can become princesses, right? That in the end, true love can give the mermaid her feet. And she can be free, right? That frozen or icy hearts can be shattered through sacrificial love. It's everywhere in our favorite stories. Because at a deep level, they are expressing our deepest longings and hopes. Mary was changed by the Christmas story. She's singing with delight that God's story is coming true. And every promise will be fulfilled. And every deep hope realized. And every thirst quenched. And every hunger satisfied. Even as he spoke to our father, she says, it's all coming true. Now, what I want for you this Christmas season, amidst the busyness of this season, is that you would slow down and you would reflect with Mary. 
She she was quiet all that time, needing this story deep into her heart, working out its implications, thinking through its implications, tracing out its applications into her life. What does it mean that God is merciful to me? Right? What, What do you see when you adjust your eyes to the upside down kingdom? What does it mean to you that all of God's promises are coming true and that you are pulled into this story? When these truths become real to you, you will be changed. You will find yourself pulled into the beautiful story that every other story is simply trying to copy. You will find yourself changing, becoming, and aligning with beauty. Pull all these, pull all these things together here and listen to the prophet Zephaniah. Because I know many of you have been reading Zephaniah in your quiet times. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Listen, it it would have taken too much time this morning to explore in any amount of depth the ways we have often sought to change and have been disappointed. We've turned to guilt in the hopes that feeling bad enough this time It'll be different. We've turned to shame in the hopes that being miserable enough, humiliated enough that we can become different. We've turned to fear, fear of punishment or fear of exposure, hoping that that would somehow bridle our desires. Right? That the, listen, at best, when we've tried that, we've experienced nothing but superficial and temporary change in our lives. But what if this was true? What if the Christmas story was a true story, right? That God had come down to dwell in the midst of his people. That he is mighty to save. That he doesn't just tolerate you, but he takes great delight in you. That he quiets your busy desire to earn his love by giving you his love free and complete in Jesus. That the King of Kings rejoices over you with singing. Listen, we sing every Sunday when we gather together. After I heard that offertory anthem, I wondered if I should just maybe dismiss y'all. It was so beautiful. We come together and we sing every Sunday. The God of heaven is rejoicing in singing over you. He sings over you. And I'm telling you, That when that becomes real to us, the change we experience will be deep and authentic. When you realize that you are lost, you are so lost, that God himself had to come and pay for your sins. But when you realize at the very same time that he so loved you, that he was willing to do it. When that news breaks through the iciness of our hearts, we will be changed. So my encouragement to you... This Christmas season is to reflect with Mary on God's mercy, on his upside down kingdom, and on all the promises he has kept. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of year. This time of year that we especially give our attention to the birth of Jesus, to the incarnation to God taking on flesh, to God becoming vulnerable 
and killable for us. Father, we pray that the good news of the gospel would find its way into our hearts. Give us time this year to pause and to reflect. To pause and reflect and find that you take great delight in us through Jesus. To pause and reflect and be reminded that you quiet us with your love. And you rejoice over your people with singing. Father, we pray that this good news would change us and change us deeply for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.